to the third episode of Talk on Tech. I am Patrick Smith. And I'm Josh Joseph. And as usual, we're here to navigate you through the world of information technology and all things Mount West Community and Technical College. Today, we're going to have an interview with Jack Loker again. He's going to talk to us uh, about the network security option that we have here at Mount West. Uh, But first... We're going to go ahead and get to a couple of reminders. Once again, we're going to remind you about some things with the academic calendar here at Mount West, uh, but then we're going to get to some great stories that are currently out in the IT world. So some quick reminders. This is actually being recorded on the 23rd, so if you're here tomorrow, happy Valentine's Day. But because of that, we're past the February 10th mark. Hopefully, if you had to drop a, a, an eight-weeks course, you did so because now you're going to get a big fat F if uh, if you're not doing so well in the class. So just the reminder is still out there that come February 29th, that's the end of your first eight weeks courses, and March 1st will be the start of the second eight weeks courses if you have those type of classes. I know it's a little ways away, but I want to go ahead and start saying March 16th. At this point, the month away is the last day for you to drop a full semester individual course. So let's forget about eight weeks now. Let's say you're in a regular 16-week course and you don't feel you're doing so well or you're still trying to test the waters and you're still trying to figure out whether you think you can hack it in that class. You have till March 16th to decide. At March 16th, you better drop the class if you want to drop it. That way you'll get a W for withdrawal. After that, it'll be, once again, a big fat F on your report. So make sure you don't get Fs. Those do not look good, and the government doesn't like that, especially if you're doing financial (laughs) aid. No. So make sure you're aware of that. So those are our couple quick announcements. Nothing really too special there. Um, But now we're going to get into some some great news stories uh, that we saw this week out in the news. So I'm going to take the first one here. Um, This one's for all the gamers out there. There is a guy that many gamers might actually know by the name of Tim Schaefer. Tim Schaefer is a video game legend. He worked on uh, games such as Grim Fandango, Psychonauts, as well, as well as the Monkey Island series. Now, he hasn't been doing a lot of stuff recently, but at one point, he made the comment that he was interested in making a brand new game. So, the neat idea now, these days, is there's something that you can do called crowdsourcing. Have you ever heard of crowdsourcing, Josh? No, I don't even know what crowdsourcing means. Okay, well, crowdsourcing is the idea. Uh, I mean, it can be a vague topic, but if you think about those people who decide to download the SETI program, the search for extraterrestrial, um, whatever the eyes for, the people who go ahead and run that on their home computer, there's all this data that comes down. That's kind of crowdsourcing in the fact that everyone's using their machine to help. Recently, I think there was some sort of medical technology, whether it was trying to to map how cancer affects a genome or or maybe maybe how AIDS affects somebody. But I can't remember the exact story, but the idea was these researchers had all this data, so much data that on their computers they couldn't go ahead and work through it themselves. And so they went ahead and crowdsourced that. And they, but what they basically wanted was they wanted volunteers to use their computers to go ahead and work with things. And, and the needs of the many... And the power of the many was able to go ahead and break through these large, large, complex uh, problems. Well, 
We're not talking about crowdsourcing in that particular way. What we're talking about crowdsourcing here is we're talking more along the lines of if you had your own personal band and you'd love to go ahead and be able to make your own album, but your album's going to cost you $20,000. You're never going to be able to reach $20,000. And right now, no bank that you go to, Josh, I don't, I don't think they're going to be able to say, sure, we'll give you $20,000 so you can go out and cut um, your first album. Yeah, definitely not. The economy is yeah. not that good. <laughs> right. But what may actually happen in a grassroots effort is you may be able to go to your fans and be like, if each of you all pip- pitch in five bucks... Maybe if I get enough money, I'll be able to actually cut the album, and I'll give you a copy. That's the type of crowdsourcing we're talking about here. Uh, Schaefer actually used a website called Kickstarter, which we posted the article. Uh, It's a Forbes article that I'm reading from, as well as his actual Kickstarter page. We've posted that online. And Kickstarter is a website similar to, um, I think it's youchoose.org, where you can go and donate money to different charities. Kickstarter is people who has projects, and you can fund projects. And they call that crowdsourcing because everyone, the populace on the Internet, has the ability to contribute to it. And so it may not be that hard to raise $20,000 if you get a dollar from 20,000 people. So he said, look, if you all want a new game from me, I want $400,000. That's how much it's going to cost to be able to make you a halfway decent game. That sounds like a lot of money to me. Yeah, 400k is a lot of money, especially but, just asking people on the internet. I yeah, mean, and even I if mean, you do have a good background. You gotta have a good background. Now, this guy is a legend, <clears throat> and yeah. I guess that holds up when, in less than eight hours, he raised what he wanted. Wow. He raised that much money. Now, here's the really cool thing about Kickstarter, and I've looked around on Kickstarter. Actually, I've um, I have helped someone get their Kickstarter funded. There was a podcast I really like called Tell Em Steve Dave, and they were going to actually make a vinyl record of a podcast. I know that sounds like you're going back in, back in technology. Yeah, vinyls are cool. But, um, but, yeah, vinyls are really cool. They're really collectible. And they didn't want to go ahead and sink all their money into it ahead of time, so they put it on Kickstarter. If it got funded, then they would make it. So it's the ability for you to say, let's see if this can happen. If enough people want it, we can do it. I mean, some people are even doing that now with their movies. Okay. He did it. In eight hours, he raises $400,000. Let me tell you about what you get if you would have gone ahead and given him some money. If you were to go and look at his Kickstarter page, by the way, uh, as of today, which is February 13th, he needed $400,000. There's been $1.7 million pledged. There's 49,519 backers. Actually, in about the last 15 minutes before we started this, 19 more people have pledged. Wow. So, uh, and there's still 28 days to go because you can put it up for so long. It's almost like an he's gonna, auction. He's going to have eBay. a lot of money to use. He is. So here's what you could get. To back the project, you have to pledge a minimum of $1. If you pledge 15 bucks or more, you'll get a copy of the finished game on Steam. It's one of the companies, uh, Valve, okay. does Steam so they can push that out to you. You'll have exclusive access to the beta as it comes out, access to any video series and discussions. If you pledge $30, you can get an HD download of a documentary that's being made about the game as well as a soundtrack and the game. So we kind of just start getting bigger and bigger. 100 bucks, you can get a poster, 
uh, exclusive to the campaign. Uh, 250 bucks, you can get the poster autographed by him and everyone on the design team. A thousand bucks, you can get a mini portrait of you painted by the game's artist. Wow. <laughs> Five thousand dollars, an original painting of art used in the game. So it'd be like being able to get, like for example, the page that a comic book artist actually drew the actually pencils. Drew it on. You know, yeah, that was the original. Yeah, one no of one a kind. Else. Yeah. Okay. You know, they always sell like film cells. Yeah. There's like ninety copies of that film. Yeah. If you could get like a cell from the from the original Natural. that no one else has, yeah. yeah okay. Or, I think if you if it says here if you pledge ten thousand dollars or more, you can get a lunch with him and Ron Gilbert. A tour of their offices and everything else before there, oh and they even gosh. say there's higher levels you could do. But uh, one of the options they'd mentioned was you could even have yourself, your likeness, put into the game if you pledged enough money. So <laughs> at this point, there's apparently enough fans of his who've gone ahead and pledged money to where he he's almost well, he's quadrupled because he needed four hundred thousand and he has one point seven million, you know. 16, 16, well, one, $1,600 is four times yep. that already. So he's already starting into his fifth round. That's So that's pretty awesome. And so, like I say, I'm not a big uh, fan necessarily. I, I've, I've heard about him and stuff, but it's awesome that somebody can get this stuff funded. And it's not funded by anybody else. So I think we may see more and more things going this way. Um you know, it may come to the point where when some TV shows are thinking about being canceled, like like, like back in the day, Firefly was one that everyone protested. Okay. They may yeah. start saying, you know what, you want us to make the show? Well, how about you pledge 30 bucks? And what we'll do back is it. you back it, we'll make it, and we'll send you a copy of the DVDs when we're done. Yeah. That way you get you get the actual fans backing. I'd say there's going to be a lot of things that turn to that, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, kickstarting is a pretty cool thing, but uh, anybody who's a fan of his work with Monkey Island series or Grim Fandango, I'm sure you're going to be happy to see a brand new game coming out really, really soon. So so that's my first one. Okay. Um, my first article, we've been talking a lot about um, Facebook, things like that lately. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of news with that, with the um, IPO and all that kind of stuff going public. Well, we also mentioned about what's going on with MySpace, just kind of like it's kind of died off. We think. Who's MySpace? MySpace. Yeah, who's that? Um, who is that? Who owns that now? Is that what you mean? No, or? no, what's MySpace? What is MySpace? Um, yeah. It was the I mean, actually, original. That, that may be a question a lot of people that might be listening to this might be saying because um, uh, you have to – you have to have been in technology for at least, what now, 10 years Something to know what MySpace like was? Yeah, I mean, MySpace was more or less the original social network, um, which is what we were talking about a little bit with Facebook. It's looking more like what fa- uh, what MySpace used to look like with customization of, of right. things and, and stuff like that. But it was a place for you to socially... Um, meet with friends. They were commenting on you had you know statuses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, very much w- what you know the whole idea behind uh, social networking. It got a little out of hand though, because like you go to some people's pages and they would have like ninety animated GIF files running around everywhere, and it looked like there was snow falling on their screen. Yeah, there I was... mean it was like some really really poor web pages you'd see out there. Yeah. Um. Uh. Y- yeah, with 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 regular users, that was that was happening a lot. But before, I mean, iTunes is pretty big now. But before even that started getting big, a mm-hmm. lot of 
bands, big bands, had MySpaces. They could stream music, stream videos. They would connect to YouTube. I did hear um, about that. Uh, people would put like groups. Was it Groove Shark? Is that what it was called? They put like little uh, players inside um, of their. Yeah, their things. there was a couple of different ones you could yeah. actually, you know, cu- I mean, it's almost all customizable, really. And I guess the last I heard was that um, didn't Rupert Murdoch News Corp buy it for like a lot of money? Well, News Corp bought it in. Um, I don't remember when exactly they bought it. It's been several years. I think. Yeah. I think that well, they bought it when it was on its high. I mean, they right. paid. Um, five hundred and eighty million dollars for it when they bought it. Five hundred eighty million. Five hundred eighty okay. million dollars, but they sold it in June of last year, June two thousand eleven. They sold it for thirty five million dollars. Ouch! That's like almost one twentieth. I mean, yeah. I mean, wow. they they had tried different things. They tried the. I think their biggest problem was they tried to compete with Facebook as a social networking site, and that's kind of. That's the direction they're going away from now. Um, this new announcement that they made today. Um, well, you know, the is, interesting thing that I'll say is I think MySpace, you could go to anyone's webpage and look at them. But with Facebook, the idea is we had to log on. Well, so I guess that kind of caught on. There's still a privacy thing. Like if, right. if they, they could have it set to look at it or not. I mean, there's there's some similarities there. You could see it more usually. Okay. They could usually, you could block a lot more photos and stuff like that too. So who ended up purchasing it? Um, the two Vanderhook brothers and some other investors, but the biggest investor was Justin Timberlake. So Justin Timberlake and them. Justin huh? Timberlake and them. Yeah, there there's other investors, but apparently Justin Timberlake's the major one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, they announced today, you know, that they're trying to re, they're reframing their website. They're going away from the social network platform, and they want it to use it as a site for uh, music and entertainment. So, but their biggest their big announcement that they had today was they um, Monday morning. This morning, MySpace announced that it had over 1 million new signups in the last 30 days. 1 million new signups in the last 30 days. Wow. Uh, they also said MySpace.com is receiving an average of 40,000 new registrations daily. So they're averaging 40,000 people registering for MySpace daily. Okay. Um, traffic's up on the site for the first time in a year. Um <laughs> They say that the recent growth is due to a new music player that gives users access to a music library of 42 million songs. And you got to remember, this is free. You know, you sign up for free. Uh, you have your MySpace site. You know, like you're, you're, you still have your little so social network page. Profile? You're still going to have some sort of profile. But the main reason people are going into it, um, according to this, is because they have this library of 42 million songs. Now, that's more than Spotify currently has. I don't know if it's more than Pandora has. Other music streaming sites, of course. Um, but that's a big reason. A lot of people listen to Spotify because mm-hmm. um, it's free. Yeah. Every four or five songs you'll have to. Every four or five songs you'll listen to like a ten-second commercial. Commercial. Um, this one doesn't say anything about that, but a lot of artists, um, music companies, and things are going back to that MySpace platform platform right. to integrate their videos, to stream their music and things like that. So they're going away. They've decided they're going to back off and not try to fight um, Facebook for the social networking you know, champion thing. You know what that kind of might be like? Um, in iTunes, there's this thing, I think it's called Ping. Okay, It's yeah. on the right-hand side of the bar, and supposedly you can have 
friends in there, yeah. and it it'll basically say, oh, they they bought this song or they're listening to this. They started to integrate that into Facebook as well. But um, wow, well, I mean, I, I I wish Justin Timberlake all the success with MySpace, but this could very well be a grand opening, grand closing I mean, type yeah, thing. Yeah, I think they were. Because of how cheap they got, $35 million, mm-hmm. that's not cheap to us. No. But I think to them, as far as an investment was concerned, if they're going to restructure it and do it, they've finally gotten smart and said, we're not going to battle for the, the social network. We're just going to do it this way because the one thing that stayed throughout the whole course has been bands, you know, big and small, uploading their music because, you know, if you're an up-and-coming band, you're not signed, you put a demo, you can upload it, people can listen to it for free. So when you say 40, did you say 40 million? What, 40? 40 million songs? Uh, 42 million songs. 42 million songs. In your mind, do you think those are 42 million uh, garage band? No. Or are we also saying that anything I could find on iTunes, I could find there? This is, yeah. This, so these there must, are. there must have been some serious deals going yeah, on in the background. these are big... Um, you know, n- big name artists right. and things like that. Um, like 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 Russian Metallica. Yeah, yeah, you could say yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, I'm sure you can find all of their music on there. But I mean, I think that's the big thing with Justin Timberlake, as big as he is in the music and entertainment that's true. world. It's it's good to have someone who's already in that industry because that can yeah. probably open up a lot of doors oh, for yeah. you. Yeah. So, I mean, with with what was going on, they they said, okay, we're going to buy this for thirty five million dollars. They tried to restructure it at first, like us, you know, and they were going to battle with the social networking stuff, and they they must have changed it in a couple months ago, and then they've just everybody's just now finding out about it, and boom, they had one million new wow. um, signups in the last month. So um, I thought that was pretty big news as far as you know in the tech world. So wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, my second article. Uh, since we're talking about security today, deals a little bit with security. Many of you all may have heard of the hacking group called Anonymous. Um, they, they've been talked about when we've heard uh, about maybe Sony's network being hacked previously, and Anonymous has taken down a lot of the government websites. I know when SOPA and PIPA was taking place, um, Anonymous was really big. Anonymous just recently, and we've gone ahead and tweeted this on our uh, on our uh, Twitter account, Talk on Tech MCTC. But the headline for this from ZDNet is "Extortion Failed." Anonymous posts semantic source code. Apparently, the way it says here is that Anonymous wanted to go ahead and they had the source code for a semantic product, a product by the name of PC Anywhere. You may have used it before. It allows you to connect to your machine. The idea is from anywhere, but there's other products they have now today, like Go to My PC, those type of things. Yep. But um, Semantic apparently was sent something, wanting some some money. The anonymous uh, IRC Twitter account wanted to go ahead and have some money. Uh, Semantic did not cave to their demands, and because of that, Anonymous released the source code for PC Anywhere on the Pirate Bay on Tuesday. And this was, uh, I suppose, Tuesday the 8th. So Anonymous now, are they are they getting that vigilant? I mean, I know they knock down sites all the time, but, uh, I mean, they, they came out and demanded for, blatantly demanded for money. Is that what that's saying? 
Well, I mean, the way I always knew Anonymous to be, at least, at least some of the things I heard about Anonymous, was they didn't really seem to be very vengeful. I mean, mm-hmm. they weren't yeah. very malicious about their intent on things. Exactly. Like, they would take down a government website, almost like WikiLeaks. Yeah. They would take down a government website if they thought something was wrong or something was bad. They were activists. Yes. But yes. this this sounds a little bit different than being an activist. Yeah, this that's really why I'm sounds asking. like being some sort of, uh, terrorist is not the right word, but yeah. it's a malicious uh, malicious, group. Yeah, malicious, yeah, a malicious attack. A malicious yeah. group, yeah. Um, so that's that's new to me. But, yeah, they went ahead and released it after they were trying to extort them, and it apparently failed. Man, so. that, that really surprises me. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. But, I mean, for all that they've done, and if you follow their news feed on Twitter and stuff, that keeps you up to date with what they're doing. And, and, I mean, they're all in the news as far as they're keeping up with what's going on in these other countries and our country. And, mm-hmm. you know, oh, we just took down this website because of this. I mean, they have the reasons behind it, but... Money was never reason until they did this, which is really surprising. Well, see, so. um, Symantec in this article mentions that they confirmed that their source code was legitimate, and they also mentioned to be advised that they figured Anonymous would go ahead and post the rest of their code, the rest of their code being the Norton Antivirus Corporate Edition and Norton System Works. So they imagine that's next. Oh, wow. And okay. the, the whole idea here was there was a hacker by the name of Yama Tough, Y-A-M-A Tough, T-O-U-G-H, uh, who claimed to be a member of the Lords of, woo, the Lords of uh, Damaraja activist group, who is in association with Anonymous. This person said they wanted $50,000 to not post that. They were okay. in talks with a semantic employee, and they didn't pay it, and so I guess they posted it. So, I mean, that... Blackmail does not sound like a uh, an activist group yeah, type. That's of, why I'm uh, wondering. Like it's really yeah, that's a strange turn. I mean, yeah, it's it's quite a. A lot of times, I always thought that um, they would hack into people to prove, look, you know, you all think you're really secure. Yeah. Well, look, it took well, yeah, us like, it took us five minutes to get in. When it, like Department of Defense, those websites and stuff that they've yeah. taken down. A lot of that was just to say, oh, you need to, you're not, you're not, you're not as secure as you're telling everyone you are. Yeah. So. Of course, then again, the whole uh, PlayStation Network thing, some of that. A lot of yeah. well, the PlayStation Network. They tried to say for for a long time that they weren't hacked, and then Anonymous <laughs> hacked and was like, "Really? Here's some credit card information." Yeah, so I think. so. I, I guess they were trying to get a point across. Yeah, but, and um, I mean, a lot of the stuff that they do, they release if they have it and they can do it. Mm-hmm. They'll just not only will they hack the place, they'll release that information to say, yes. "Oh yeah, we got in this far." All the way into we're getting these account details, every aspect of these people. But this sounds a lot more like they're doing it now for personal gain. Yeah, that's that's so that's really weird. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. interesting. Well, speaking of hacks, um, I've got a story here. Um, apparently, there's a huge increase in hacked iTunes accounts. Um, it says accounts containing credit card details, those linked to a PayPal account, and those with a gift certificate balance seem to have been hit. Many accounts with gift certificate balance have been virtually cleaned out. Um, it, it's just apparently it's starting to make pretty big news. It's um, basically some of these stories I'm reading are saying check your account, check your passwords, things like that. Make sure that your um, if your password's not very you know hard as far as that goes, not right. very hard to crack. Go ahead and change that. And make sure it's good. 
Um, I mean, there's other ways to get to it, but that seems to be what they're doing. Um, I actually know of someone that this recently happened to. Their account had um, $50 or so of um, gift certificate money from the Mm -hmm. holidays. And it was like we were sitting on the couch and this money went, this, this account went basically empty right and the it was it was weird because the app that was purchased that he had it set up through the cloud and it downloaded onto his ipod and he's like i didn't even buy this thing oh right. and then we got to look in and we pulled up his itunes account and it had downloaded this game and and within that game had made fifty dollars worth of in-app purchases Mm-hmm. So it made it seem like they were cleaning out that car- the gift card to hopefully get to a credit card number or something like that. Luckily, there was no credit card number or anything attached to that account. We were just using yeah, gift you card. Know, you had um, mentioned that money, to me. So um, I guess I guess maybe Apple has changed their 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 statement on that because I just know when I when I originally signed up for an iTunes account mm-hmm. way back when. They wouldn't let you sign up unless you had a credit I'm, card attached. I'm, I'm guessing it's because of the how much younger kids are now that their parents right. are giving them iPods and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They don't want to take a chance of them um, doing it. But I, I think you may still have to have it as far as you might still have to have it registered and a some sort of gift card or something attached to it so there's right. money on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but luckily with his, it got wiped out. And then, luckily, there was no credit card or anything attached onto it, which, I mean, it sucks that he lost that. Basically, Apple says, you know, there's nothing they can do because right. it's, it's so hard to prove that because, you know, it can just be cracked. And then, But we changed this password and stuff immediately after that, and nothing else was, nothing else was downloaded or anything. But it was so weird because it just it basically happened right there in front of us. And, I mean, it was some soccer game, and it definitely wasn't anything that, that he know, was going to do. If someone wanted to be really malicious their their hacking group could design a game a soccer game like you're saying and they could go ahead and put in-app purchases in there Mm -hmm. which maybe like buy a new uniform for 30 bucks you know things (laughs) that normal people would never buy because they're like it's not worth it Mm -hmm. and then if they then hacked into people's accounts yeah they could fund their own money by hacking and buying their own product. Yeah, I mean, that's... I'm not saying that's what happened, but but that would be a way to get you some extra money. Yeah, because it's a quick 30 bucks. It's not like you have to make like a $31 in-app purchases. you got a big Mm -hmm. in-app purchase in there, boom, you got it. Right. Or like that that $1 million app that they had back in the day. Yeah. That was nothing but like a... It was was like a, a red... Red velvet-looking pillow, and then it had, like, a diamond in the middle of it, and that's all it was. Yeah, it was just just to say that you had that much money. Yeah, it was a dumb program. It was, like, a million dollars, which they took down eventually. Yeah, yeah. So, But But uh, that's my my other story. Nice. Well, my last one, going ahead and making sure we end with a bit of a security side as well, is that DARPA, which the department... DARPA. Oh, man, the Department of Advanced Research Projects... Uh, agency, I believe, the people who helped make the internet back in the day. Uh, they had a contest recently that was all about shredders. And I'm talking about paper shredders. A lot of people go to the store, they buy themselves a paper shredder. Most people know these days to buy a cross-cut shredder. Don't buy one that makes long, big strips. Make one that cuts your paper in two pieces. Almost like tic-tac-toe grid. Make yeah. it into little squares or, or little diamond shape. Well, 
DARPA had a contest where they would go ahead and put out documents that were scanned documents, and they wanted some group out there or some person to write a program that would allow you to reconstruct documents from a slurry of shredded paper. And someone has already solved it. Now, the way they were convincing people to do this is they were offering a $50,000 prize to whoever did it. So, of course, awesome. it was going to be some little motivation. almost felt like one of those X, X game type things or the, uh, the X prize that we've heard about previously, like how Virgin, uh, what's it called, Virgin Galactic, now has a spaceship they're going to use to go in uh, to a new commercial, oh, okay. commercial space flight. Yeah. But this was kind of like their own little X prize. But the idea here, there was three scientists who, uh, who had experience in computer vision and mobile technology. And these three scientists scanned each chunk for unique characteristics that allowed them to reconstruct the documents automatically on the screen. So really the point of the matter of this is that even cross-cut shredders aren't quite as safe as you think. Because these people have now written a program that I suppose DARPA now owns or at least has a copy of mm-hmm. that they can now use to reconstruct documents. So um, maybe we need crazy. to go back to the good old um, barrel and fire. Yeah, I was going to say, it's better off just to burn that kind of stuff. Yeah, go yeah, I go mean, ahead and try to reconstruct that. Do the cross shred, then mm-hmm. take it out back and burn it. So just burn yeah. a big pile of it. But yeah. That really needs to be done anyways. I mean, because you think about, you know, I'm all for saving the trees, all this paper, you know, recycling stuff. It's mm-hmm. great. Um, but like you said, if it's not, uh, even with something like that, you know, people can still get in there and get that information if it's critical. If you're messing with that kind of information, it really, I mean, literally it needs to be taken and burned or something mm-hmm. like that, incinerated somehow. So, Well, what people were worrying about in this article, they said, should we keep on shredding our documents? Mm-hmm. And uh, the the guy, Good, who was one of the scientists who managed to, to fix, who make this program, said that uh, DARPA's documents they sent when they were reconstructed, um, the challenge they gave them were actually simple compared to what you have to do with a full bin of lots of shredded pieces of paper. Yeah. Because the idea that how many documents are in that bin that you have. So they're saying reconstructing them was not easy at all for them to do. Um, So he didn't think he had to worry about that. But I'm saying right now this is the first step. You know, we got the first step, and so there can be evolutionary leaps on up the way. So just just be aware. Don't put on a tinfoil hat, but just be aware <laughs> that things that you shred and where you put stuff can always – there's always a way for there someone is. to find something there to get is. around. Nothing it. is impossible in this yep. technology that we have now. And if you go and you look at that TechCrunch article that I did post on the Twitter account, they even have a link to a demo where you can you can kind of see an example <laughs> of what uh, – what DARPA expected them to do. They basically had a whole bunch of weird shaped shredded pieces and they wanted a program that could put those all back together. And the idea was they said on the sheet of paper what your instructions were to do when you finally fixed it. Oh, so, that's cool. That's a good yeah. idea. So That's neat. That was pretty neat. Well, that's our uh, our articles we've got for you today. Uh, next thing we're going to do here is talk to, uh, talk to Jack Loker. So let's go ahead, go ahead and, and get right into the interview. Okay, so today in our third podcast, we are rejoined by instructor Jack Loker here to talk to us today uh, jointly with me about our our network security option that we offer here at MCTC. 
So um, we've talked in the first podcast about the network administration, which is the Microsoft curriculum, and we talked last week in the uh, in the second podcast about the network development option that we offer, which is Cisco. So that's if you want to go straight Microsoft or straight Cisco. And in this particular option, the security option, we try to bring the best of both worlds together and make sure you have some security built in there as well uh, to where if you only have two years to get through, you make the most of those two years that you have here with us because some people do do decide to maybe stay three years and and pad their resume with with both sides of the fence. So... um, Hitting it off, uh, Jack, this does have uh, the four classes that, that lay out the CCNA program. If you would, just remind everybody how those are structured and how long you take them and, and when you can go and sit for exams. Um, like we spoke on the last podcast, uh, the CCNA is broken in, in our college into four semesters. Uh, they would be IT-131, IT-141, and that's your preparatory for your uh, Cisco-certified entry-level technician. Uh, after that, you have your semester three, which is 231, IT-231, IT-241. And that would allow you to take part two if you decided to take your certifications in two parts, uh, which would give you your, I, or excuse me, your CCNA certification. Um, we kind of leave it up to the students based on uh, their Desire whether they want to take the two individual tests or wait till the fourth semester to take their CCNA uh, certification or after the fourth semester uh, when they've had all their training. Um, as we spoke last uh, last podcast, uh, along with that, we had uh, training for the CWTS, which is Certified Wireless Technicians. Mm-hmm. Um, those were the IT two two five course. Um, those are the primary ones that we maintained for the security side um, that were different from the Microsoft. We've added my five classes into yours mm-hmm. and taken out some of the uh, advanced network administration, I guess, with on right. your side uh, to give uh, uh, a student or uh, someone that's uh, going to an employer and says, I've got this background on both Microsoft and networking development or Cisco right. uh, I, uh, as an entry level, which mm-hmm. is what they're looking for. Now, so <clears throat> compared to the previous Cisco curriculum, their first semester, they still take 131. Yes. Their second semester, they still take uh, 141, and they could choose to go and sit for the CCNT. Correct. And that was, um, if they wanted to sit for that, that was roughly $150. About $150. Bucks. But, but also, because of our academy, they can get a, a voucher if they've gone through our Cisco academy. If they go through the Cisco academy and they do well, 80% or higher, on right. their final exam for semester two. And that's based on Cisco curriculum. Cisco curriculum, Cisco test. Mm-hmm. Um, they will get a voucher. Normally, it's between 25 30% uh, mm-hmm. off the test. That's still that's still roughly a good thirty bucks. So yes, yeah. everything's it, better than nothing. And the voucher is usually good for a year from mm-hmm. once they download it. Okay. So uh, we have a lot of students that don't test right then. They wait until they're in the middle of their third semester and do a little bit of refresher coming back from the summer, right. and then they go down and take that. Uh, but we do give them the opportunity to. Uh, their employers knows that they've been trained up to this point 
with these subject matters, mm-hmm. and uh, they've done hands-on labs, and they can show them their portfolio that shows what type prog- uh, projects they've done. Now, as you hinted at last week in the last podcast, after that second semester, well, at that second semester, all of their classes they've taken so far are exactly, for the most part, identical to the Cisco track. And it's at that point that comes semester three, they can choose whether they want to go to the security option, which is going to add in some of my Microsoft courses, or strictly stay uh, network development and stay Cisco side, and then just only take like the third semester, the 231 class. But in this option, if they choose to go uh, security side, they'll be taking my first four exams, my first four classes, 210, 211, 216, and 217. And just as a refresher, um, that would prep students to be able to go and sit for their Active Directory exam, their network infrastructure, their application infrastructure, and then finally the fourth class, 217, prepares them to go ahead and sit for their server administrator. So the third the third class would not have to be a certifiable class for them if they didn't want to but taking my 210 211 and 217s certifications would give them what used to be called the MCSA that was what it used to be called now microsoft calls it uh that you're an MC ITP which is microsoft certified IT professional and your level you would have attained would have been called server administrator so it would give you that associate style level of Microsoft. And then also in that semester, you would take uh, 231, which is the third Cisco course. And by the end of the two year there, you'd have a Microsoft associate level and a Cisco associate level. Because in the fourth semester, you'd finish off with 241, which is the fourth uh, Cisco class that you offer. Yes. And you also mentioned that you have the wireless in there as well. We left that in there Mm -hmm. uh, to give them a broad range of all Mm -hmm. manufacturers. So in the class, we use a lot of uh, Linksys-type devices, but I bring in Belkin, D-Link, other manufacturers uh, to expose them to uh, all the different ways that the wireless is out there right now. And we, we definitely also have the uh, the IT224 class, which is a class that gears them towards the CompTIA Security Plus. Now, in the in the security option, we do not have the A-plus class, the 270 class that we talked about last week. We, we decide to instead swap it out to make sure we have the Security Plus since we're gearing the students towards the security side. So the Security Plus is definitely an option they would have to be able to go and sit for uh, after classes if they like as well. So um, I think that gives you a pretty good idea of how with our security option you can kind of get the best of both worlds if you want to get out there as fast as possible into the workplace and uh, get yourself a job. So. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. So I hope you all enjoyed the show today. Uh, next week we're going to be talking with uh, Jack, Josh, and myself about all things certification-based. Yep. So stay tuned for that show. But for now, I'm Patrick Smith. And I'm Josh Joseph. Have a good week.